Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. The 53-man roster is set for your Buffalo Bills, at least for now. And we have some things to talk about. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the 53-man roster. We're going to talk about some lessons that can be learned, some observations about the way it all went down. Then we're going to take a break. We're going to come back, and I'm going to touch on the Buffalo Bills' handling of the Matt Ariza allegations because we have not had an opportunity to talk about it since it all went down. So because I'm telling you what it's going to look like, you can listen to the first half of this pod, and then you can duck out if you don't want to talk about the rest of it, if you don't want to hear anything about the rest of it, or you can listen to the whole thing. Look at me. Choices make the world go round. So Buffalo Bills 53-man roster is set for now. It's important to remember that these things are fluid. I cannot think of a more significant professional roller coaster for an NFL player than making a 53-man roster and then getting cut for a player who got added to the 53-man roster from a different team who was waived. That has got to be the biggest up and down. I did it. No, I didn't. And so I try to remember at times like this, these are human beings who have consistently worked to make their dream a reality. And for some of them, this is the end. So it's important to have a level of human empathy when it comes to talking about players. But the Bills 53-man roster is set for now. And it looks like this. Quarterbacks, two, Josh Allen, Case Keenum. Running backs, four, Devin Singletary, James Cook, Zach Moss, Taiwan Jones. Fullback, one, Reggie Gilliam. Receiver. Seven, Stephon Diggs, Gabe Davis, Isaiah McKenzie, Jamison Crowder, Khalil Shakir, Jake Kumaro, Marquez Stevenson. Offensive line, nine, Deion Dawkins, Tommy Doyle, Roger Saffold, Greg Van Roten, Mitch Morse, Ryan Bates, Bobby Hart, David Questenberry, and Spencer Brown. 
On the defensive side of the ball, defensive end, five. Greg Rousseau, Boogie Basham, Vaughn Miller, A.J. Epinesa, Shaq Lawson. Defensive tackle, four. Ed Oliver, Jordan Phillips, Daquan Jones, Tim Settle. Linebacker, six. Matt Milano, Tyrell Dodson, Balin Spector, Tremaine Edmonds, Terrell Bernard, Tyler Matakiewicz. Cornerback, six. Dane Jackson, Christian Benford, Kyir Elam, Cam Lewis, Teron Johnson, Saran Neal. Trey White went to pop. Safety, four. Jordan Poyer, Micah Hyde, Jaquan Johnson, Damar Hamlin. Specialist right now, two. Tyler Bass, Reed Ferguson. Bills do not have a punter for a reason we will get into later. It appears likely at this point that Marquez Stevenson, the seventh receiver, going to short-term IR would be the logical move to bring in a punter. So when the Buffalo Bills sign a punter, which could happen during this recording of a podcast, you never know. We could get breaking news live on the pod. It seems likely that Marquez Stevenson would at that point go to IR with a designation to return if they are so inclined. A couple observations from looking over this 53-man roster projection. The first, and potentially one of the most talked about, was the release of O.J. Howard, who had a basically fully guaranteed contract, essentially. And there was some discussion about O.J. Howard. We talked about it last week on the pod. In fact, O.J. Howard was the impetus for the entire less certain conversation we had on the pod last week. I said I was less certain that he was going to be tight end too. And I think that this is a great opportunity for us to examine the time-honored tradition of I told you so. The rite of passage that is dunking on people is really, really important for the O.J. Howard discussion. Why? Because I can't do it. That's why. I can't say, oh, I told you so. Why? I said I was 70% sure he was going to make the team. I can't dunk on somebody for that. Now, I was more right than someone who says he was a lock, and I am less right than someone who said he was going to be cut. I'm somewhere in the middle. But I can't take a victory lap on that. I didn't predict he was going to be cut. In fact, he showed up in my 53-man roster projection that I posted on Twitter, and I said the phrase, I thought his release, quote, seemed unlikely, end quote. So I don't get to take a victory lap on O.J. Howard just because I expressed some concern, because my concern was 30%. That's not enough for dunking, ladies and gentlemen. Let's wait until we get something right before we start taking a victory lap, shall we? Because I can't take one here. It would be intellectually dishonest for me to do so. But I think the interesting thing about O.J. Howard is that this is the third time that the Buffalo Bills have signed someone at tight end that we all thought was going to be a contributor, and they just didn't end up being that way. Tyler Croft, Jacob Hollister, O.J. Howard. Now, I know Tyler Croft's a different situation because of the injuries, but This is a situation where Brandon Bean's not afraid to eat some money if somebody gets outplayed. 
if Quentin Morris is a better TE2 and Tommy Sweeney plays special teams, what does that leave O.J. Howard to do? Block? As I said, he had some nice blocks. But for a lot of us, the big reason why we thought Brandon Bean wouldn't cut O.J. Howard is because of the money. Because the reports out of camp were not glowing on O.J. Howard. It wasn't like people were constantly talking about what a good player O.J. Howard had been in this camp. I didn't think he was particularly strong in the preseason. I mentioned last week I thought he looked really, really slow. All accounts were from the people who were actually there that Tommy Sweeney and Quentin Morris had played better. So we were hanging on to a logical fallacy, which was that Brandon Bean was going to care about sunk cost, and I don't think he does. I think we have enough data at this point to indicate that Brandon Bean doesn't really care about sunk cost when it comes to those secondary players. I'm sure he probably does when it comes to other players that you've invested more in. But when it comes to just monetary value, just contractual value, that's it. I'm not talking about draft picks. I'm talking about just money. That he doesn't care perhaps as much as we thought. And I think it's valuable when it comes to lessons learned from this. Because let's be honest, we're going to do this again next year. I'm probably still going to be podcasting next year. We'll see. But I'm probably still going to be podcasting. The question is, are any of us going to learn? Am I going to learn? Am I going to get better? Am I going to take the lessons learned from this 53-man roster and this cut down with all the other data that exists around the lead? And am I going to get better at prognosticating, at evaluating? Am I going to get better at that from watching the situations that have unfolded in front of me and allowing them to inform me moving forward? Or am I going to make the same daggone mistakes I've made every single year? Speaking of which, how about Blackshear? Didn't get claimed, even after a really good preseason. And I think what it boils down to with Blackshear is that the NFL just doesn't care about preseason performance all that much. And they don't care about it nearly as much as fans do. Because there's an entire bank of data that the team sees that we don't see. We see snippets of practice. We get practice observation articles. And then we get preseason games. And we put so much weight into preseason games. But year after year, it is established in the NFL that other teams just don't. And our team just doesn't. It is so rare. I think the most important thing about preseason is staying healthy. The second most important thing about preseason is when someone is playing. When and with whom. We saw the details with O.J. Howard. We saw the writing on the wall. He was playing deep into the fourth quarter of the last preseason game. And yet I still put him on my 53-man roster projection. At what point am I going to learn? At what point am I going to get better when it comes to that? Because it was right there in front of me. It was right there in front of all of us. I'm going to try to remember this next year. I'm going to try and learn my lesson. Everybody who people were worried about getting claimed didn't get claimed and ended up back on the Buffalo Bills practice squad, including Isaiah Hodgins and Blackshear. The four that got claimed 
Luke Tenuta, Jonathan Kingsley, Tanner Owen, and Nick McLeod. Not a lot of people were worried about that. Little bit of stuff on McLeod. Because the things that drive our concern don't drive the concern of other teams. They don't care about the same stuff that we care about. 864 players in the NFL got cut, placed on IR, or placed on the PUP list. 864. Of all the players that were waived, 33 of them got claimed. That's it. Across the entire league. You've heard of the phrase American exceptionalism before, I'm sure. It's the idea that the United States is inherently different from other nations. I would like to argue Buffalo exceptionalism. We think that our team is subject to an entirely different set of standards and rules because it's the Buffalo Bills. Well, yes, 864 players are getting waived or cut. Cut being released in this case or put on IR or PUP. But no, no, our players are different. Blackshear is different. Isaiah Hodgins is different. They're probably not. It's very, very rare for something like that to happen. We just think about it because we pay really close attention to the third quarter of preseason games. I don't think scouts for the Pittsburgh Steelers are caring an awful lot about the fourth quarter of a Buffalo Bills-Carolina Panthers preseason game. I just don't think so. I'll tell you what the data indicates they do care about. They care a lot about their pre-draft evaluations on someone. Think about this for a second. Rasheed Blackshear was an undrafted free agent. He had a really good preseason, and it didn't move the needle enough for anyone of the 32 teams out there, in this case 31 because the Bills obviously were waving him, any one of them to claim him. It didn't move the needle at all because they had their evaluation on him. Nobody wanted to draft him. And if nobody wanted to draft him, the preseason had to be enough for them to move the needle, and it wasn't. Because I think teams care a lot more about their pre-draft evaluations. Why do you think first-round quarterbacks keep getting shots? Josh Rosen's on his sixth team. Because people care a lot about their pre-draft evaluations and they care far more about that than they do about a couple quarters of preseason football. They're going to look at Rasheed Blackshear and go, we had him as an undrafted free agent. Okay, he got cut, so what? We, we still had him as an undrafted free agent. A couple series in preseason isn't enough to change their mind. I think they care far more about their pre-draft evaluation than they do about preseason. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about the Matt Arisa situation. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the future of work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, 
Bruce Nolan, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. Welcome back. We have not had the opportunity to talk about the situation that arose regarding Buffalo Bills former punter Matt Ariza. We were supposed to talk about it a little bit on Food for Thought, but unfortunately that show had to be canceled at the last minute. But I am going to take the opportunity and talk a little bit about it. If you do not wish to hear me talk about that, if it would somehow be upsetting for you, now is the time to leave. You know, last week on the podcast, we talked about why I don't historically have players on the pod. We talked about how relationships can skew objectivity because relationships are what grant you access. And they can skew objectivity subconsciously. And even the temptation was something I didn't want. The entirety of that conversation could be summed up with the word access. Because I don't need the access to the team or to the players or coaches. I don't have to tailor my content in a way that would preserve that access. Times like this, I find myself very grateful for that. So if you find yourself disappointed that others in the space didn't offer up their opinions on the Matt Ariza allegations, I would ask, like I did this summer, that you show the more silent some grace. Their silence could be a result of not knowing what to say. We put people in positions all the time where they must have a take immediately on all issues, regardless of their qualifications, and it's unfair. Or, maybe they're more silent because they're forced to be more silent. I am afforded freedoms that many others are not. I know that there are some out there that feel restrained by their relationships with organizations or players in times like this, and I will continually make an effort to empathize rather than demonize. You and I have talked about Occam's razor before. Occam's razor is a logical tenant that says that if you are presented with multiple different solutions to a problem, that the simplest solution has the highest probability of being the right one. Keep it simple, stupid is an evaluation of Occam's razor. What you may or may not know is that there is another logical tenant that is named for the blade we use to trim our hair. And it's called Hanlon's razor. And Hanlon's razor says, do not attribute to malice that which can be more adequately explained by incompetence. Basically, Hanlon's razor says that stupidity is far more common than maliciousness. Sometimes we have a tendency to drag ourselves toward maliciousness because we ourselves are angry, and we want blood. And at times like that, we want to give ourselves a villain to justify our anger. So we jump to maliciousness as an explanation for actions that can oftentimes be more adequately explained by people screwing up. I mentioned on Twitter multiple times during this process, and I will mention it again on this podcast, that I do not think the Bills handled the Matt Arise situation optimally. The team said that they didn't know about the allegations at the draft, and none of the double-digit teams that they reached out to knew of the allegations. Per the Associated Press, other teams said they knew of allegations, but not the details. Well, that means it was possible for a team to know something at the draft, and the Bills did not. 
if it was possible for the team to know something, but not all the details, why risk it over a sixth round punter? This is the same argument we had about the trade deadline. Every year we have this argument about the trade deadline. I do not want to criticize a lack of a trade unless I know for certain that trade could have occurred. In this case, we know that the greater amount of knowledge that the Bills had pre-draft could have been obtained. They could have known more because other teams did know more. Bean said that the team knew in late July. The LA Times article came out in early June. And Matt Ariza was being tagged in tweets from the accuser's lawyer at that time. Based on Bean's comments, Ariza did not share this with the team at the time. That's a strike against Ariza himself. But the team knew in late July and started an examination at that point, something they would eventually go on to call a thorough examination. Per Bean, they had trouble obtaining info and admitted they didn't have all the facts when they made the decision to release Ariza. But in that case, the statement that they previously released should not have said, quote, completed a thorough examination, end quote. Bean admitted that the word ongoing should have been included in the statement. But the examination did not include reading the article which outlines the details of the allegations. It's reasonable to assume that the investigation you called thorough would be able to find it. And the method by which the Bills found out, it was from the accuser's attorney. If the Bills didn't know about how heinous the details of the allegations were, it's incompetence. They talked to an attorney who was representing the accuser, and an article was out there detailing it. They said they learned new details after the suit was filed and knew the boulders, you can't see me, I'm doing air quotes, quote, the boulders of the complaint, but talked to the person who was filing the suit a month before it was filed. A reasonable person could expect them to be more thorough. If you have an ongoing investigation involving one of your players, why then would you then cut his competition? If you were sure the investigation wouldn't reveal something that would require you to cut him, you were wrong. And if you were unsure if the investigation would reveal something that would require you to cut him, then you were hasty. Either way, you were wrong. Determining that knowing, quote, the boulders was enough to feel comfortable cutting Hawk and being comfortable that no other details would come out was a risk that backfired. What part of this was shared with Sean McDermott? If he knew about this, then calling Ariza a, quote, great kid on Pardon My Take was foolish. And if he didn't know, then the organization's left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. The organization cannot reasonably be considered blameless in this situation. But what it does reveal is far more likely to be a logistics failure than a moral one. As we talked about with the Cody Ford trade, the team minimized a miss. We can praise them for the minimization and criticize them for the initial miss. Both of those things are true. I don't think the character of Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean is on trial here. If it was, the preponderance of the evidence would indicate to us that they are not bad people. We have a lot of evidence to indicate that, including recently having a poll of NFL agents come out that indicated 
that of all the GMs in the league, they were most likely to trust Brandon Bean and that he was a man of his word. Again, there was a distinction between incompetence and maliciousness. And as Hanlon's razor says, it's far more easily explained by a mistake than it is by malice. We can simultaneously admit that the Buffalo Bills handling of the situation was suboptimal and also not jump to the conclusion that there are dastardly levels of moral corruption throughout the Buffalo Bills organization. And that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumblings. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts.